Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real, honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm Sarah, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Chef. Hey, everybody. And Clay. What's up? And today we are going to be answering the question, what to do when it feels like your senior leader doesn't care. And Clay, it is your first time on the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. First time. We're super excited to have you. (laughs) First of many? (laughs) Well, we'll find out. We'll see how it goes today. We'll be invited back. I don't know. And we are excited to have you because you can speak into this topic specifically. You're the lead pastor of the North Point Community Church, correct? Correct. How many years have you been doing that? Uh, it'll be four at the end of really? this year. Wow. Crazy. Yep. Some people get a college degree during that time. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. School of hard knocks. <laughs> Colors are black and blue. <laughs> I took night classes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and before that, what were you? Uh, yeah. So I worked at Brownsbridge Church, which okay. is uh, one of our campuses for four years. Before that, I was a student pastor, high school specifically, okay. North Point Community Church for four years. And before that, I worked at Brownsbridge Church for a year as the uh, high school pastor there. Okay. And my boss was, drum roll, <laughs> Tom Shefshunas. I hired Clay. So Not really. Credit. I really didn't have a choice. <laughs> you were told It was to kind of in motion when I got the job, but I was yeah. happy to. I would yeah. say we're both in better seasons now yeah. than we I, were oh. then. That was a... It was a tough season That's for both of time. us. Yeah. yeah, for different reasons. Yeah, I've got a lot of scars to show. If we would have known, we could have uh, commiserated, <laughs> but we didn't know. <laughs> we didn't know. We didn't know. Okay, so you've had positions that have been in senior leadership, but then also student ministry specific. So you have a lot to offer when it comes to this topic, we hope. But I, I, again, let's suspend judgment till let's the wait end. Wait and see what happens. Okay. That's Senior great. leadership. That sounds so old yeah. and lame. And that's you now. That's your position. I know. It is crazy. I was talking to somebody today and they were saying something about what we're going to do with young adults at our church. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not a young adult. <laughs> They're talking like to me about what to do about adult. young adults. Yeah. yeah. I was like, ugh. So did you ever, you went in, you started in student ministry. Did you ever see yourself being in a senior leadership position? Was that part of the goal? Um, Well, I definitely wouldn't say it was part of the goal. Yeah. Um, But I mean, I I think I knew I wanted, I wanted to serve our church best. And if it was in student ministry, then great. But I I was always open, I think. And then I, I think well, at least for me, I went into ministry thinking I wanted to be a pastor of a church, yeah. that, that, but mainly just because that's kind of what I saw and what I knew. Yeah. But then once I got in student ministry, I'm not overstating this to say it was my dream job I yeah. mean, to get to work with high school students and, and to get to work with volunteers who were working with high school students. It was, at the time, it was definitely all I thought I ever wanted to do. Yeah. And yeah. it's still, when I look back on it, it's my favorite season of my life. Uh, my wife and I were newly married and we got to do it together. Mm -hmm. She led a group of uh, high school girls, ninth through 12th Mm -hmm. grade. Um, I was running point for our, for our student ministry at the time, but um, I was as engaged as I wanted to be in students' lives and connecting with volunteers. It was just a blast. So no, I never thought I would step out of that, move into senior leadership. leadership. (laughs) Andy was great at it. Yeah. Andy was great at it. Andy was great at it. And And Clay was not great at it. That's right. (laughs) 
that's the theme of my life. <laughs> There's not a Sunday Standing that goes by. Shadows. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Standing in the shadows of Stanley. That's yeah. right. It's going to be your memoir. It's a big shadow, though. There's yeah. a lot of it us in there. It is a big shadow. Yeah. has been in that shadow. I have. Sarah's lived in that shadow. Your husband's in the yeah. shadow. <laughs> my husband's in the shadow. Yeah. Let's give him pep talks. Um, so what would you say? How? What, what's some advice that you would give youth pastors who are trying to navigate relationships with lead pastors where it doesn't feel like they care. It's not necessarily that they don't, but that's the perception. Yeah. I love the word apathetic. Um, Chef, you mentioned, even as we were talking about this a little bit, a little bit ago, that this is the most common question you get yeah. uh, on what orange do I do tours, I guess. My lead pastor, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And I've certainly gotten this question a lot. Uh, and, and I felt it too, from both sides. I've felt I mean, I had a conversation just recently with one of our student ministry people who shall remain nameless, Darren, um, who (laughs) was, he was questioning why I hadn't been at more stuff, you know, why I wasn't more present in what was going on in his world. So it was crazy at that point to go, oh my goodness, he thinks I don't care. He, uh... That's a country song, isn't it? Probably. She thinks I don't If it's care. not, it will yeah. be by tomorrow. I think George Jones. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yes, I definitely, I know the feeling. I remember the way it felt. Uh, and I don't know, at uh, North Point, we spend a lot of energy. We try to spend a lot of energy on the next generation yeah. and really yeah. try to resource our student ministry teams well. But when I was the student pastor, definitely I felt like, there were times where I felt like no one cared. And what also played into that was our student ministry meets on Sunday afternoon. So they would have the Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 and at the time 1, I think. And then the whole building would be shut down. It would right. be a ghost town. <laughs> right. And we would be rolling into yeah. work being yeah. like, well, the good news is yeah. if anything breaks, no one will know. <laughs> <laughs> the bad news the is no one cares. Right. It's both are It's good and bad news, it really isn't is it? Right. When you can live in that kind of world. I mean, you know, NFL's on. Lead pastor's got a fantasy team. Yeah. They're pretty busy. You know, I mean, it's like... That's the way it feels. One, right. it, you know, in one hand is terrible. On the other hand, it's opportunity. Yeah. You know? right. And maybe that's a good place to start, Sarah, is to... I think you got to start by going, okay, I'm going to have it one way or the other, probably. Mm-hmm. I'm either going to have a senior pastor that is way too engaged. Too all up in my attention. business. All up in my business. <laughs> yeah. Like breathing yeah. on my neck yeah. at every turn. Yeah. I don't, I mean, personally, I would choose an apathetic senior pastor over okay, one that's, that's a great manager. That's a great point because yeah. that is 100% true. If yeah. you had one or the other, which one would you choose? Probably most of you would choose mm-hmm. what you've got. Right. Probably. Yeah. I mean, you're and got, why? Why would you pick? Well, it's a, it's a pick your poison scenario. You know, they both have, uh, they, they both have downsides. Um, Chef, you and I have, we have both met with the same professional coach. Yeah. Um, have y'all talked much about Dean Harbury on the? Yeah. On this I podcast? have mentioned a few of Dean's quotes, but one of the greatest things I've ever done is sign up for, you know, my phone calls with Dean. You still do? You still? I do. And well, I've, it's been like a month, and I'm hurting okay. right now. Yeah. So yeah, I need to get back on the phone soon. Well, his philosophy of leadership, I feel like, has been, or his framework of leadership has had probably as much of an impact on me in regards to just leadership theory than anything else. But the idea that 
uh, everybody leans one way or the other. Everybody leads towards abuse or or abdicate. Everybody right. leads towards being too aggressive or too mm-hmm. passive. Everybody mm-hmm. leads toward I'm There's way too not involved. Somebody in the middle for the well. Most part, I mean, or? Jesus is in, yeah, is in the right, middle. Right. Jesus and Andy Stanley. Those two right. are in the middle. Uh, and, and Reggie, sorry. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I mean, I think the goal That's is hilarious. to, as leaders, the goal is that we would be leaders that are leading for, in in the middle way. I think yeah. I think the middle way yeah. is what I have tried to find is it's really rooted in Buddhism, um, <laughs> but it's such a great principle of going, okay, I don't want to be too apathetic, but I don't want to be too aggressive. And so, right. yeah, you're going to have one or the other. Yeah. I would rather have a senior pastor that is more apathetic because it leaves more space for you to lead. Uh, it leaves more space for you to do the things that you think you want to do. Now, the downside is you're probably feeling- It leaves more rope. <laughs> it it leaves, yeah, yeah. does yeah. leave more rope to- Get yourself in trouble, yeah. probably. Yeah. But it yeah. also it it the frustrations it creates are uh, you probably don't have all the staff that you want, or you right. probably don't have the budget you want, or uh, getting a decision on things mm-hmm. probably feels difficult when you say, "Hey, we want to try this new retreat. Are you open right. to that?" Maybe you feel you haven't learned just not to ask and keep moving. That's right. Yeah. Because yeah. in in the apathetic case, maybe it takes a month to get an answer back. Right. Um, because yeah. because the senior pastor or senior leader is super disengaged. But the big idea, I think, maybe a good place to start is you're you're going to have a leader that's probably probably one way or the other. And there's some benefit to being right uh, to having a leader that's apathetic. You know, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago and it, and it was with my friend Lane, who you work with as well. Lane's, uh, he is my current boss. Yeah. And he's brilliant <laughs> and he's not my boss. And years ago I asked him just to speak into my life. Um, but cause he helps me understand things on this level. And he's like, here's the deal. Like when you are, the bigger your job is, the bigger your world is, but you still only have one flashlight. And you can only see what's in the flashlight. So this idea of looking around and it's not that they don't know something's broken. It's not that they don't know that you might need attention, but they only have one flashlight. And if they're working on something over here in the flashlight, which we know is the case, then you either have to wait for the flashlight or you have to find a way to get the flashlight pointed at you, which may or may not be a good yeah, thing. That's right. Cause you know sometimes, I mean? yeah. sometimes the flashlight is like a microscope right. or a microscopic <laughs> right. and head, you, headlamp. And you really want a leader who controls the flashlight. You don't want a leader who's constantly looking for squirrels or, you know, like right. distracted yeah. because you never know where that that's thing's coming. And at least, you know, you know what, they're working on something and yeah. you know, I'll get in line. Yeah. But you know, one of the skills I think we have to learn is just, is, you know, I, I feel like people come to me all the time and they're like, I didn't get what I wanted or mm-hmm. I didn't. And I was like, here's the thing. You never get what you want. Like yeah. mm-hmm. there's the goal of what you want. And to get there is not you ask for it and get it. It's mm-hmm. much more like you took advantage of a small opportunity and moved towards that goal, right. you That's know, with, point. you know what yeah. I mean? Whether it's, yep. we just have a great intern who we just don't want to let go. We don't have a position, but you know, this is a great spot for this person and you inch towards where you right. feel it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but. Well, I love I the have, headlamp illustration. Yeah. Isn't that the, the flashlight. It helped me understand a ton. And again, it's not that they're apathetic. It's not that they don't even care. It's just that they're human. Right. You know, and what, it, I mean, you were saying that you had that experience with Darren, that it felt like he felt like you didn't he felt care. Like I was and you apathetic. obviously do care. So what. I. I tried to tell him, I don't think I could care more, but I can understand (laughs) how you, if you were just perceiving or just looking at my behavior, you would think I don't care. 
but the amount of time that I spend thinking about your world and right. praying for you and talking to volunteers about how things are going and talking to parents about how their students are doing. Uh, but I can understand based on the data you have. Well, it so like it seems care. like part of the problem is how are you measuring care? Because if it's your attendance at events, that's, right. then that's one thing versus right. how much thought you're putting into it off, off hours or whatever. Yeah. And I think what I try to encourage him with is you have a choice in how you see yeah. You know, or how, really what you fill in that gap between mm-hmm. the behavior that you're experiencing from your senior leader mm-hmm. and the behavior that you want. There's always going to be a gap. I mean, to your point, Chef, you're never going to get all that you want. I mean, there is no right. perfect leader that yeah. is engaged in your world just enough where yeah. you feel encouraged and inspired right. and motivated and loved. Well, there's but, not that many resources out there, right? And then there's yeah. not a resource right. challenge right. too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, you're not going to get, you're not going to get the perfect leader. So I think knowing that, okay, this is a human leader to your point, And right. I've got to determine what, how am I going to feel toward this person? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a human organization. Right. I mean, one of the definitions of leadership I heard back in grad school was letting people down at a rate that they can handle. That's leadership. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my God. And, oh, so so letting bar. people down. It is a low bar, but the reality is you only have so many resources and yeah. you can't, like if you were to add up all the things people want in all of your meetings and one-on-ones mm-hmm. and everything else, it equals more than what is available to wow. you to spend. And so that's a reality and that's the leadership, it's you know, parenting tension that you live in. Right? That's it's a great. good parenting principle too. Yeah. <laughs> Just let them down. hundred <laughs> percent. Let them down at the rate they can handle. Isn't that, isn't that a terrible, but it's true memorable. <laughs> I will not forget that. That's terrific. That's good. Okay. So what are some of the things that you thought you would do when you were a lead pastor that ended up becoming more complicated once you became one? Yeah. And I think that's a great, uh, I think all of that is a posture as well. It's a, how you're positioning yourself either against or with, or how you're seeing yourself in light of your senior leader, that it's so easy to think, oh, his job or her job is easier than mine. If she only knew, if he only knew all that I have to deal with, then they would know that I'm staying up all night and I'm having to put all these talks together. And I think what I thought to answer your question simply though, what I thought that I wanted to do or could do was to just speak change and it would happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the lie. I think I always thought that, oh, well, if I get more authority, if I had all the authority that my boss had, then I could just say what needs to happen Mm -hmm. and then it would happen. And then you get into the position I'm in now where our middle school director works for me and our high school director Mm -hmm. works for me. And so now the frustrations that I used to have at the person in this, in this position, I'm now in that position, yeah. uh, which there's a lot of accountability to that. But I now realize, oh, it's not as easy as yeah. you thought. And I think the, the, the learning for me is I think a lot of times we think our boss's job is easier than ours. Mm-hmm. And there are some benefits that maybe your boss has that you don't have. Maybe mm-hmm. your boss got the membership to the country club or maybe your boss got the <laughs> bathroom in their office, yeah, the bathroom right. in their office or the lease with the Chevy dealership on their car. I, I don't know what your boss got. Parking, parking spots. Spot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jinx. Uh, but the, the truth is your boss is, at least in my experience, the more authority you have, the more complicated your job yeah. is. I mean, I heard one time somebody said, or somebody wrote an article about the president of the United States, that the decisions that the president has to make are the decisions that no one else can or wants to make. Yeah. Yeah. And it is true. I mean, yeah. if, if a decision escalates to that level, yeah. it's usually a fairly a complicated decision. And I yeah. think in a really microscopic way, the same thing is true about our organizations, our churches, that your boss is having to make decisions that uh, most people 
at our level either don't want to make or can't make. So just to, the, the other thing that I have learned is it's so much better to approach your boss that way. Yeah. You may as well approach your boss going, okay, I'm assuming your job is harder. You have more on your plate. Yeah. And instead of going like, oh my gosh, you're such a right. loser. And if once I have your job, I'm going to dominate. And until then <laughs> I'm just waiting. Right. Um, right. That's just not the case usually. Not a good approach. Well, it just seems like a, in general, empathy for the person. That's a great in charge. word for it. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a, um, I've been around a guy named Frank Blake a little bit over mm-hmm. the last couple of years. Frank was the uh, CEO and president of The Home Depot. When he was the CEO, they had 350,000 employees. Say, how many employees? Oh in an $83 billion company. Yeah. Uh, which is just crazy it is when you nuts. think about that. I remember thinking church. overwhelmed and I was coming back from a flight. It was in the last six months. I was somewhere and I was just overwhelmed and I flew, I drove by the Delta mm. and it was like all 472,000 employees. Thank you for flying. I thought oh. somebody's oh. in charge of that. <laughs> and I am stressing oh out word. about, you know what I mean? About something anyway. Yeah. So one of the things I, I had a chance to ask him about, you know, this, this concept really mm-hmm. of which, which the, the concept awesome we're talking about question. on a broad level is the way we're going to lead. Are you going to lead through authority? You're going to lead through influence. Mm. And this is really an influence-based approach to leadership because inside of your question is if you have more authority, can you get more done? Yeah. Well, at a basic level, sure, because authority does allow you to make decisions. It allows you to move things faster. But the truth is great leaders lead through influence, whether they're in charge or not. And so I asked Frank about this and I said, so when you became the CEO of Home Depot, were you able to get more done? You know, were you able to go, okay, now finally, everybody else is out of the way and there's a clear pathway and I'm going to, and he said, I remember the first week I was CEO, I sent out this memo about a change that we were going to make, something different we were going to do. 30 minutes after I sent the memo to everyone in the company, everyone in the company got this memo. I walked down the hallway and I see the memo in the trash can. (laughs) 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 And he's such a humble, understated, uh, soft-spoken leader, but... I just, I'll never forget that little story because I think that's the way most bosses feel. That's the way I would imagine your senior pastor feels is you think it's so easy. Like I just say, oh, well, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. This It doesn't work that way. That's not how leadership works. Yeah. That even if your boss did exactly what you wanted him or her to do, that doesn't mean that everything would happen, that everything was going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. So just approaching your boss, like, hey, your job's harder than mine with empathy, I think is a better approach. I loved what you said about, we think it's an authority issue that if we had more authority, we'd Mm -hmm. be able to do it, but really it's an influence issue. Do you, I would love to hear you talk more about that. Sure. Explain what that looks like. Well, I wrote a book about that, Sarah. So (laughs) when you write, (laughs) well, you have come to the right place. Um, No, I mean, I have talked a ton about this over the last year or so. And when you, when you do, I mean, one of the benefits, one of the fun parts about working on a project like that is that you spend a lot of time reading about it yeah. and thinking about it and talking about it and having conversations with yourself about it, uh, that the, the, the essence of leadership really is influence. And I, mm-hmm. I know we all know that at a basic level, but all of us are tempted to believe the lie that authority is what makes a leader great. Mm-hmm. That if I only had the position or the office or the title or the parking spot or whatever it may be, I would be a better leader. But the truth is influence is what makes a leader great. And there's tons of examples I could use to prove this, mm-hmm. which we don't need tons. I mean, we only need a few of them, but there's plenty of people who have done great things in the world that didn't have authority. Obviously, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, just to name a few, Mm -hmm. they did not have the title, but they leveraged influence. The other thing I've learned about this concept is that 
if you had a boss that leveraged his or her authority to get people to do stuff, it would drive you crazy. Mm -hmm. You would hate it. An example would be an office space where (laughs) the boss... Is demanding we're that not they endorsing get the, that movie. We're not endorsing <laughs> it, student pastors. But the television version of that movie is fantastic. <laughs> but he's demanding that people get their TPS reports done. And if you, if your boss came to you today and said, "I'm in charge, you're my inferior, get the report done," uh-huh. you would get it done. But you would also update your. LinkedIn profile, if you, could, <laughs> if you could only find your password. And you'd start trying to find another job because we don't want to work for people that leverage right. their authority. We want to work for people that leverage their influence, which the reason why that's so important right now to every student pastor is yeah. what you're doing today matters so greatly. If for, if for nothing else, if you feel like everything I'm doing is ineffective and it's not working and I don't have all that I need, you have an opportunity today to learn how to leverage influence when you don't have authority. Mm-hmm. And what will be a fantastic turn of events is you will one day get more authority and you will have that influence to leverage and use. And it it will make you a better leader and it will make you a leader that people really want to follow, not a leader that has to demand that Mm -hmm. people follow. Well, you know, one of the questions I get all the time from young youth workers is, you know, like, you know, what would you do to prepare for someday when I have a position, when I have authority, basically, Mm -hmm. is what they're saying. And they have... 10, 15, 20, 30 volunteers who report to Mm -hmm. them. And I'm like, hey, if you can lead volunteers, because you really don't have authority over them, they can all walk away. They're not getting paid. They're not getting paid. They're giving up their time. If you can lead and inspire volunteers, that is some of the best, like, practice yeah. for having a staff Absolutely. and then you treat your staff who has to work for you because they have to get the TPS reports done. <laughs> right? I mean, yes and no. I mean, the truth is not, not all Nobody of us has are volunteers. To. That's yeah. right. I mean, no, if that's I, true. We can all leave. If my boss treated me poorly today, there's nothing stopping me right. from just leaving. And this new generation of young leaders, they are happy yeah. to walk away from it. I, they, I love the courage that seems to be in emerging adults too. of going, hey, I'm not going to settle for a less than great job. Right. Obviously, there's some danger. I want in purpose in my job. I want to be inspired yeah. in my job. Yeah, and if I you're not a boss fantastic. worth following, I had a conversation the other day with somebody, and that was their point. They were like, mm-hmm. I was like, why would you want to leave a great job? And they were like, I don't want my life to look like the leaders of my organization's oh, life. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. Well, chuck them the deuce. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't, I don't even know how to respond that, yeah. you know, that's to great. that that's because, I mean, again, again, but that's a generational thing. Yeah. Like our pa- so. My parents, no. they had a job to have a job. Yeah. Right. And you're, you know, it was like the, the question was not, am I, do I have purpose in this job? Not, am I inspired by my leadership? It was, is this my am calling? I getting paid and do mm-hmm. I have benefits? Yeah. Right? right? That's right. Well, that is not the attitude of this younger generation. And yeah. so no. if you are going to be a boss in the next 10 years. Yeah. You better get this down pat. You better learn how to lead volunteers. Uh, Tom Landry, the former Cowboys coach. You don't need to explain that. Okay, chef. NFL fan. uh, I needed the explanation, (laughs) so thank you. As a Steeler fan. Landry I don't know how you'd feel about Landry. I'm okay with it. I respect him. He he (laughs) has a statement on leadership that says (laughs) leadership is really, uh, it's it's inspiring people to do what they don't want to do to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Which I love that definition yeah. of leadership. I mean, that what oh, that's better than mine for every student. <laughs> yeah, let them down slowly, or at least at the rate that they can handle it. Right. Uh, for every student pastor, you you have a group of volunteers that, to Chef's point, they they are obviously 
inherent into their name. They are volunteers and you're trying to inspire them to do something that they might not want to do. They might not want to show up every Sunday. Mm -hmm. They might not want to call their students or text their students. We can't see how they're possibly going to do it, even though they might want to in the midst of it. You're, you're inspiring them to do, to do what they, beyond what they think they can do. That's right. To accomplish what they want to accomplish, which what they want to accomplish is they want to have influence. They want to have a purpose in their life. That's right. And, and to your point, if you can do that with a group of volunteers today, you will be able to do that with a group of staff. And and unfortunately, the flip side is also true. If you fail to learn that now, then you won't be able to do it yeah. when you're in charge. Or fail to understand the importance of it. That's you right. Know? right. I mean, I get I get the how do I get volunteers to all the time. Right. And I'm mm. like, well, let's back up a second. Yeah. <laughs> let's ju- let's exactly. juvenile and back the that up. The premise of your question right. is yeah. the authority thing. Bad yeah. Question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like I have authority over these mm. volunteers. It's like mm, you really don't. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? They can all mm. walk away tomorrow. And they will, and they will. But if you inspire your volunteers Mm -hmm. to inspire before you require, inspire before you require. So no matter what position you're in, whether it's a senior pastor leadership position or a youth pastor position, you are perfectly placed to have the influence you want to have. You can practice right now. Right. Yeah. Which is, to me, it's inspiring because what you're doing today is not wasted. I think a lot of times we all feel in our jobs like, oh my gosh, here comes another Tuesday, here comes another Wednesday. But the truth is that today you have an opportunity to develop something that it will aid you, it will benefit you the rest of your life, yeah. and it will, and God will use it to benefit others the rest of your life if you choose to let Him develop that in you. So, yeah. so the question for every one of us is, what are we doing today that's cultivating influence? What are we doing today that is teaching us how to cultivate influence? Yeah. And what am I doing today that's costing me influence? I feel like one of the challenges with student ministry people, the challenge with me when I was in my uh, emerging adult years. Let me go back a few years and think about it. It's so hard to be brutally honest with yourself about the fact that there are things that you're doing that are costing you influence. That's a great Because I think most of us feel like, what? No, it's my boss's fault and my boss is apathetic and my boss is not present. But the truth is, there is something you can do that would cultivate influence and there's something you're doing that's probably costing you influence. And the sooner you are courageous enough to go figure out what that is, the better you will be. So would you recommend, I mean, I think that takes a level of self-awareness, probably a healthy self-awareness, but probably asking people, I mean, what is that question? Like, what it, what's it like to be on the other side of me? That I, kind of I question. I love that question. That yeah. it's, if you can't see it in yourself, you've got right. people either, people who are working for you or people you're working for yep. to answer that. One of the most common things I get from people when I talk to, to at least people on our team, even when I say, "Hey, you know, how how aware do you feel like you are?" Mm-hmm. Of course, people are. I mean, I'm well, super aware. I'm so aware. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've asked. I mean, I asked yeah. them. I asked our volunteers, "Hey, everything okay? How's it going? Right. Is anything you know, everything cool? What do you think about yeah. how I'm doing?" The, one of the things I've learned about feedback is most people do not have enough courage to ask for it, and most people don't have enough courage to give it. Yeah. It's unbelievable yeah. how... Well, maybe for right, rightly so. It, that's I true. Mean, it's probably uh, motivated yeah. by good reasons. They right. don't want to make anybody mad, or they sometimes don't want to hurt anybody. Or lose your job. Sometimes I mean, if, you're, true. if yeah. you have a boss, if, if your that's boss is asking you, how, what's it like? Yeah. And you're going, you're terrible. Are you really going to tell right. him? Is that going to affect your <laughs> or performance? Or does it even matter? Like, I mean, right. you know, so like you get a survey from somebody who says they want to hear it and you're yeah. like, are they really going to change? I am. Yeah. yeah, they're really yeah. not. They're just doing this because it's not worth, yeah. you know. 
And the truth is with other people that might be true, but yeah. the only thing I can control is the That's oasis great. of excellence yes. that I'm trying to create in myself. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to create, I, I, you know, I, I can't control the way my boss responds to feedback or I can't control right, right. the way other departments mishandle whatever. But what I can control is the team that I'm leading and how I receive feedback and how I seek feedback. I I feel like that's what I've learned more than anything about feedback in my own personal professional journey, Uh, personal professional, my own (laughs) professional journey is seeking it is really the way to go because everybody's got something they would love to share with you and unsolicited feedback is perceived as criticism. Right. So instead of waiting on them to give you the unsolicited advice, if you would go to them and say, Hey, uh, what what I've had to do is try to tee it up personally and face to face and say, Hey, I would love to get some feedback on how you think things are going. I'm going to send you an email this week. I would love for you to be as honest as possible. Yeah. You're loving me by being more honest. So if you feel like there's things that I could change and get better, I really want to grow. Yeah. And then you've got to show them that you're not going to be defensive and you're right. not going to cry and bring the email back <laughs> At to least them. Not in front of them. You've got to prove them. You're going to prove you got to handle it. You're, you're going to prove. It. Well, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, that's I think true. I think for every for every leader, every student pastor, uh, it's one of the things that you can do to help. I think it shows your senior pastor that you're motivated, that you want to grow. But I also think it will help you be more self-aware. Yeah. And yeah. that, again, will only help you in every other job that yeah. you're ever in, and yeah. your marriage, and your parenting, and every right. other area Just of your life. Just as a human in general. <laughs> That's right. Can we talk about the common youth pastor limiting, I you know what I mean? Like, I think there's two levels of it. Yeah. I think there's the general, hey, you know what? Your reputation is you never get the whatever's in on time. You're never on time for a meeting. You're never. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. And those are, but those Not are the easy things leader. to deal with because those are right. like, okay, you need to learn some life skills. Mm-hmm. On top of that, are the more difficult. Like you're super defensive all the time, right. mm-hmm. and under that is years of work and sanctification and mm-hmm. all. You know, like what is driving all those things, or you're. You know, you constantly question everybody else's ideas. Like, mm-hmm. not one time have you ever said "good idea" in a meeting, or you know, <laughs> or, or you do what? Well, I don't want to call it Reggie Joiner, but <laughs> Reggie Joiner does in meetings. Right? You know, when he's like, he listens to your idea and he goes, "That's actually not a bad idea." I don't hate it. That's always <laughs> like, like a, oh my god! I don't hate it. That's actually I not. I don't idea. hate your idea. I can't believe that came out of your mouth. <laughs> but those are the Thank things you. you've got to get used to. Is again, looking up, like you yeah. know, let's talk about Andy for a little bit. When Andy's trying to figure something else out, what does his facial expression say to you that you have to get used to? It's, yeah, it's you're the uh, dumbest man I've ever talked to in my life. He doesn't mean it. He does not mean it. (laughs) But as a youth pastor or as someone who's trying to grow in it, you have to learn to be, again, learn to be confident enough or learn to power through that face and be like, listen, I just got to trust he's a great leader. I got to trust that, you know, I mean, I just... It's one of the hardest things to get used to yes. when you're dealing with a lead pastor like that is like, okay, I'm just going to trust, yep. you know, that one, he pays me every week so he tra- or every two weeks or yeah. every month. And he hasn't stopped. So. And he hasn't stopped. Yep. So, far, so okay. he assumes that I, you know, and I just have enough, I have to have enough confidence yep. to power through this sort of stuff. I lo- there's a scene in uh, First Night with Richard Gere. Oh, this is... I know where you got this. Dean Harbury. Yeah, this is Dean Harbury. Oh, my goodness. I love this lesson that he taught me a long time ago. But it's so easy to be fearful of our job, but you will never lead well if you're afraid of your job or afraid of losing your job, I should say. That's true. So in this scene, 
real quickly, Richard Gere is, uh, he's, I think he's Sir Lancelot. Yep. And there's he's this- got his side hustle. You, that's right, where yep. he's, he's jousting in the, in the common marketplace to get, to get a little extra money. It's one of my favorite And stories. this big redheaded uh, beast looking man- Says the redhead. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> he comes up and he's like, you know, I, I'd like some of that, you know? And so they start jousting and Richard Gere, Sir Lancelot, gets his sword, I mean, just out of nowhere, makes right. this move on and gets his sword. It's unbelievable. Deswords him. And the redheaded guy says, well, how uh, can you tell me how you did that? And he says, there's three things you got to know. Number one, you have to study your opponent and know their every move. He said, great, I can do that. Number two, you've got to know just when to strike. He said, great, I can do that. He said, number three, you cannot care whether you live or die. Yeah. That that's the (laughs) way to become a great jouster, I guess. I don't know. It's definitely the way, it's the way to be. I believe it's the posture that you got to have toward your boss and you can't do it in an arrogant way where it's like, Oh, you know, I don't care about anything. And if I lost my job, who cares? I don't, you know, it can't be that way in a, in a nonchalant or a, uh, cavalier kind of way, but it it does, you do have to have a fearlessness in that moment where you're trying to figure out how am I going to read my boss and what, what does he or she think about this? There's gotta be a, well, I think I'm not afraid to lose my job. I think that's part of it. One thing we talk about a lot on this podcast is, some of us are in jobs where apparent apathy is actually apathy, <laughs> you know, or that yeah. your leader is an insecure leader that, yeah. and, and that is one beyond your responsibility to change. Yep. And that, um, sometimes it is time to go. Sometimes it is, you know, yep. like I'm not going to be able to affect change here because of the leadership that's in place. How do you, how do you know? Well, I've, I think what Sarah said a few minutes ago about having empathy, I think is a good first step yeah. is to go, okay, first I'm going to try to understand this apathy. Yeah. No, so, and I think any, you know, any of us, I, I, I understand my boss's sometimes apathetic approach to things or what seems like apathy to me because I have parents now that are 65, 66 years old right. and, and they're, uh, they, they both have just recently retired and I can see the way they see their life now, or at least I have more empathy for the way they see their life now. And so I think it's understandable. When, 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 I, when I see it from my parents' point of view, it helps me to at least understand why somebody who's 60 could, be, could see the finish line, mm-hmm. could want to just, I'm so close. I just want to finish well. Right. Let's not rock the boat. Right. Yeah. Let's keep everything stable until yeah. that time comes. So I think understanding that is a, is a good thing. And then I think you've just got to judge can I get anything done here? Right. Can I accomplish anything? Can I make anything happen? Based on what I actually can control. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think it's important also to, to, to decide, I'm not going to let the office talk create my opinion of my boss. I'm going to commit that my experience, that my opinion of my boss is going to be shaped by my experience with my boss. That's a great Because I think point. a lot of times yeah. we let the, the office gossip yeah. determine what we think about mm-hmm. how yeah. our boss is going to respond versus no, I'm determined that I'm going to shape my opinion based on my own experience mm-hmm. with he or she. And then I also, what the, probably the thing I see more than anything in myself and in leaders is uh, we want to leave too quickly. Yeah. Uh, that, oh, just because it's hard, I want to leave. Or just because I have an apathetic boss, I want to mm-hmm. leave. Uh, number one, you'll never have the perfect boss. That's so true. if you're in search of he or she Good luck doesn't that. exist, that's <laughs> right. And, and number two, you, if it's hard right now because your boss is apathetic or because your boss is micromanaging, you, 
you have to see this season as a time of learning because you will learn more when it's hard than any other season of your life. There's a reason why the weight room is awful. It's because the weights are heavy. That's the point of them. They create resistance. When we do, when we put forth effort in the face of resistance, we gain strength. That's the way the weight room supposedly works. Asking for a friend, I guess. Uh, But in those seasons where it's difficult, you will learn more. And I know that's not an emotionally satisfying answer, but it's just the truth. And I'm, I'm in one of those seasons right now. I feel like my job has in 2018, it's just taken way more energy for me to be positive about my job yeah. than it ever has before. And I have tr- I've been trying my hardest to see it as, okay, for the most part, my career has been relatively easy. And when you're on the cruise ship, mm-hmm. it's a blast, <laughs> but you don't grow a lot on the cruise ship. Right. Uh, it's really in these times that I feel like I'm really having to, I'm having to draw on the, the vine more than I ever have before. I'm having to ask God to give me more than I ever mm-hmm. before. Um, but I'm also having to really look inside myself and try to figure out why is this hard and what does it say about me and what am I doing in response to it? And uh, it's, it's building more strength mm-hmm. than it would on the cruise ship. So be encouraged, those of you who are in a hard season, if you feel like your boss isn't paying attention or is paying too much attention, uh, there's a lot you can learn right now. So I want to kind of take this into a practical turn it a little bit. Where have you, have either one of you seen examples of people in youth pastor positions doing this well, where they, they've led up, they've influenced where it felt like the senior pastor wasn't caring very much or was apathetic. And you felt like someone below them led in a way that gave them more influence than authority. Yeah. I'll tell a quick story about something, uh, Darren Youngstrom, who is our high school director, Darren was uh, requesting an additional staff position, mm-hmm. which is a common thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least in my experience. This is hard. You know what we need? <laughs> yeah. we sure Somebody else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, you know, he and I have had a lot of conversations about that, and I've told him, hey, Darren, I know this might be hard for you to imagine, but we have a number of departments here. And one of the common things is it seems like every department would always like to hire more. So just know when you come to me saying you need to hire more, I need more than, hey, I need to hire somebody. I need, I need a really strong argument. Yeah. I need, and, and I need to see that you have worked extra hard to try to find other ways because there's always two ways to handle we have too much to do. There is we could hire someone or we could stop doing some things. (laughs) Or find a volunteer. Or find a volunteer, a third way. That's a great point. Which is what most youth workers have to do. That's right. So what he did, I thought this was terrific, but um, he had been asking for a couple of months and he he brought this document into my office one day. It was about five pages long. And he said, hey, I have captured, I have written down for the last two years every difficult conversation that one of our volunteer coordinators or groups directors has had to do with a parent, a student, or a volunteer. And I just wanna show you the volume wow. of difficult conversations that we're having to have. And when I say, hey, we really need another position for our team, this is why, yeah. because of the level and the gravity of these conversations. And so it didn't take me long to read through this document to go, Oh my goodness! This is I wouldn't want to do sick. this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and and it, you know I didn't. Uh, I we don't work that way where I can just I don't have that kind of power. 
to be able right. to say, oh, well, go hire someone, Darren. Right. No, but it definitely, it was a thing that spurred me because ultimately uh, everyone, you know, in your conversation with your boss, you're basically, uh, it's, it's, it's a trade. Who's going to have the hard conversation? And, and if, if I say yes to Darren, I'm going to have to have a hard conversation with someone else. Yeah. And so I'd rather not do that. I would rather tell him no and have him have a hard conversation with somebody on his team. So it's really a, okay. it's a game of persuasion who's going to convince the other person to have the hard conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so in that case, it was very, it was motivating. It was inspiring. He did a great job of inspiring yeah. me to go, okay, well, I will take up this, I will take up this cross for you <laughs> and I will go have a hard conversation because that's a lot of hard conversations that your team is having. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like it was, he did a really good job of inviting you into his world. That's exactly right. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. I think he helped me see how he feels. Yeah. Or help me feel what he's feeling, yeah. uh, which was a, a very effective uh, move. You know, I think for me, you know, looking back over the years, you know, we had a small group based ministry and we had hundreds of small group leaders. And over the years, the culture changed that we had these, like, they were just alphas, you know, especially yeah. the, the, the male small group leaders who showed up, you know, they were bosses in industry and all these sorts of things. So they would constantly be coming to me with these yeah. ideas. And as the boss, air quote, boss of these volunteers, yeah. I felt like I was just nonstop saying, you know, no, 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 because I had limited resources and everything else. But I guess over the years, I, I started to say, well, go ahead and try it, you know, try, yeah. try some smaller things. And so for instance, I'm just thinking back over the years, we had this group of, you know, a men's group who showed up who just, there were six of them who just decided, you know, if someone would have intersected with us in middle school, our adult lives would be completely mm -hmm. different. So they decided to show up, you know, I didn't recruit them. Yeah. They were amazing and they did an amazing job and they were, they just were, they worked so hard that it was hard to point to them as an example because it would scare volunteers <laughs> away because they yeah. were so good. But they kept asking for like this father-son thing. They kept asking over the years and it was like, I think it's a great idea. I don't have the margin. I don't have the budget. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Um, and eventually I said, well, just try it in your, let's try it with, you know, and they took the lead on it and it was incredible to the point where what it did for me was one, it showed me that it works. And mm -hmm. so one of the things I talk to people all the time, so for instance, they say, I want to start a groups-based ministry, mm -hmm. not a Sunday school ministry. How do I convince my senior pastor? How do I convince my senior that pastor we that, that we change. need to quit Sunday school yep. right. <laughs> and start a groups-based ministry? I'm like, well, that's a terrible idea yeah. to go up with that idea. Why don't you start to cast the vision about, hey, I want Sunday school leaders who are more relationally connected. Nobody's right. going to fight about that. Right. Who cares what we call it? Yeah. Let's go ahead and start moving in that direction. So, you know, and then show them that it works. And then eventually people will come to you and say, what are you doing? You know, and then change can happen that way. I think that's one of the lessons we learned with Lead Small is we wrote this book directly to small group leaders. Mm -hmm. And we've been trying to get lead pastors to, for so many years at Orange, one of the things that surprised us was, when, when small group leaders read Lead Small and got fired up mm -hmm. and started doing things and started, the church started to take notice, and then the volunteers were asking the lead pastor to change, it was actually more effective yeah. than oh, wow. yeah, getting great. the student yeah. pastor to ask for the change. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So when the volunteers were going, this is what we need to do, the lead pastor started going, wait a minute, what is it? Because right. we the need small to do? group leader probably right. gives more. So maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so maybe this isn't an example, but you know, maybe sure. you need to start leading better down in order to get more influence up. 
yeah. you know, in some ways. That's terrific. That's I didn't even plan to say that, but I think that's a good bottom line. Show. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. But I think that's you know one of the things. So one, when your volunteers come to you, say let's go ahead and get. I mean, stop saying no and say let's give it a shot. Give them a beta. Give them a yeah. smaller. A lot of times they'll figure out, oh, that wasn't a good idea. Sometimes it's like, wow, I can I can take something like that yeah. up the line and that will get. I mean, one of the things Clay was talking about earlier is, you know, when, when Clay first came in and we were looking at all the things student ministry was doing, he came to me and he was questioning our parent-student, you know, events that we were doing because it, and he should have, because I fought it for years being like a parent, parent ministry is adult ministry's job. Mm-hmm. My job is middle school, mm-hmm. you know, and my staff's run ragged. I'm asking for more positions. Clay's like, why are you doing all these other events? And then I'm going to share what you well, just shared. Yeah. They, yeah. It, basically one of the things they were doing was for eighth graders, they would do a, uh, they would have all the dads yeah. of eighth grade guys. They would have the small group leader set the dad up and say, yeah. Hey, we're doing this event with fathers and sons. They would roast a pig, yeah. which would, was a ton of work outside of my normal job. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was questioning, why are we doing it? Because I, I want to be strategic and want to be focused. Yeah. And I know everything we do has an opportunity cost. We're saying no to something else. And when you dilute your energy and your effort, yeah. it's going to cost you at some point. So I was asking those kind of questions saying, hey, why are we doing this? They're doing this eighth grade event with these dads. And the dads, they would tee them up to come and read this letter of blessing over their son. I'm, cry- I'm crying now. <laughs> thinking about, I, I don't even have one of these letters. Yeah. I can't even think of what right. the letters would say. But I remember the first time they finally came to me after so many questions and they said, hey, can we just show you a letter of yeah. what one of the dads wrote to their son? And I read that letter and I'm in a pile of tears going, why in the world yeah. would every church in the world not yeah. do this event? Right. So I went from, I, I wasn't antagonistic toward the event. I was antagonistic toward doing a lot more extra right. things. Right. I went from that to being a huge proponent. I think the next week we read that letter from our stage saying, yeah. hey, I just want to let you know, if you give here, these are the kinds of things that yeah. you're giving actually toward. get to happen. You're strengthening right. bonds between eighth right. grade kids and their parents. So thank you. Wow. Yeah. No, I think that's, I mean, it's a great example. And let me be clear. Like, I think you should have asked those questions. I think that was your job. It was like, hey, you say you don't have enough leaders. You say you don't have enough time. And yet I see you over here doing these other yeah, that seem like not necessarily middle school. feel like industry, sideways yeah. energy. Yeah. And, yeah. and in some ways, you know, maybe we defined what our jobs are to, you know, narrowly. And this is maybe a broader. So, again, it was a fight for me to finally get there and finally do it. And then I experienced it. And then to have someone question. I mean, I don't think, again, I was older, wiser by that point. I'm like, these are really good questions. And I feel like you should ask. You're wrong. But, you know, (laughs) read the letter. (laughs) Here's the letter. You know, those sorts of things. But again, that was more empathetic towards, okay, I get why Clay's asking. These are the right questions that the point leader should be asking about the focus of his team and everything else. So, again, approaching him, you know. I think a lot of times too, chef, you know, in that case, I guess, I don't know. I don't remember how old your oldest was, but probably around that age, probably around that. I did that about six months ago and, you know, as a dad and actually experienced it as a dad. Yeah. I mean, it was just as worth it. I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy. And we're not talking about what we're talking about here, but (laughs) even, you know, the fact that every dad wants to do that, Mm -hmm. very few dads do it. I mean, one of the things Robbie Angle used to say, or no, it wasn't Robbie Angle, it was Darren, Darren down at Buckhead. Darren would always say, you know, I want to move parents from I wish I had to. I'm glad I did. Mm. And okay. even a poorly written letter read over their uh, eighth grade. is better than no letter. 
Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so every yeah. parent wants to do it very yeah. in, but basically every parent looks up and is like, ah, oh, I had all yeah. those plans and they're gone. And yeah. one of the things you might have to do, I, I guess what I was going to say is in your case, I think you were closer to that age where you would have middle school kids. I was right. younger and I didn't, my kids, I couldn't even see middle school at that right. point. We and, were trying to get out right. of diapers, which we're still not out of diapers, but we were trying to. <laughs> we keep but, having kids. Still right. trying to get out of yeah. But what I was going to say is your senior pastor is probably at On the, the age side. where can hardly remember yeah. having a middle right. schooler. Yeah, that's a and point. so, so much of your job is helping them remember the power of what it means to have a volunteer right. saying the same things that a parent is saying in your student's life. And, and you've just got to know that they, they don't remember that. They've got right. different problems. Maybe they've got aging parents or they've got I retirement just, it questions. It feels like it keeps coming back to that idea of you want to humanize your experience for them and and vice versa. Like That's You've right. got to be right. able to see the, the actual faces and yeah. people connected to this. That well, just and the other thing questions. I feel like that we need to remind lead pastors of, and I've not been good at this, I don't know how to do this yet, is like, hey, in seven or eight years, do you want a church full of people who never heard, had a letter read to them from their dad or a church full of people who had a letter read to yeah. them at that specific yeah. age about what they could do and what their father sees in them? Yeah. That's a different church. And so we build our church through student ministry, but gosh, that doesn't yeah. seem to be the yeah. common strategy across this that's country, which leads to how do I get my lead pastor to all the time? You right. Know? And I, I would also just encourage you, if you feel like you've got no, you, you've got to find resilience enough to, uh, you've got to find some Tommy boy resilience, you know, where you're not, you're not going to take no for an answer. Right. You really do have to, when you get no, I, I have tried to train myself to, to hear no as not yet. And so basically I, I just yeah. hear no and I go, okay, well, that just means I need to reframe it. I need to find another approach. I need to find a different angle. And you haven't seen the last of me. Right. <laughs> and I am not going to take the butcher's word for it. Right? <laughs> That's, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. To carry that metaphor out even further. Oh, okay. That's good. Well, and on Tommy boy, that sounds good. <laughs> Well, this has been a super helpful conversation as we've talked about authority and influence and perceived apathy and all kinds of things. So Clay, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. We would love to hear more about how you're wrestling with these ideas in your ministry. So jump into the conversation in our Facebook group and for a link to our group and a recap of today's episode, including links to the books and resources we mentioned, check out our show notes at rethinkingym.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.